once you join us with angels from the realms of glory as we praise our Father. all be seated. Good morning. Whoa. My name is Gary. Just a couple of uh, quick announcements for you. There is youth group tonight at 530 here at the church, 530 to 7. So uh, 
if you're interested in, in that group or if you know somebody who might, send them over. They have a great time. Um, Tuesday, next Tuesday, the 15th, um, is our family prayer night. And uh, wanted to just encourage everybody that, that can to come for that. That's a time that we get together and we pray for um, we pray for the church, we pray for um, our community, we pray to praise God. Um, we just have a good time. It's, um, it's something that we are um, instructed to do as a body, and it's also a way for us to get together and have um, a good time of fellowship doing it. Um, in, this, in this time that we've got going, it's probably our strongest weapon that we have against uh, the COVID pandemic. Um, we pray for our nation's leaders and uh, for wisdom and just for, for everything that, um, that we can think of to lift up to God and to worship him and to praise him. So, and it's not a time when, when anybody expects you to get up and, and say anything or, you know, if you want to pray silently, uh, that's, that's just fine too. Christmas Eve, we will be having um, one service. In the past, we've had two, so make sure you're you're on board with that. As far in you know a mental thing, don't. Um, we're just going to have one this year. It will be at four o'clock, and on the way out today, you will. I don't know who will be there yet, but somebody will be at the door with these invitations. Grab one of those or more if you want to to uh, use to invite friends, family, neighbor. Um, Anybody you can think of that might uh, might want to come. And let's see, Kristen, where are you at? Good morning, everybody. I just want to thank you all who have participated in Angel Tree, whether it's prayer, gifts, delivering. Appreciate it very much. Um, super excited to bless these kids. Um, this coming Saturday, uh, right now, um, it looks like we have enough delivery drivers, but if there's anybody that wants to be maybe on call in case somebody was to get sick or be unavailable, I would love just a backup resource. Um, so if you are interested or you're hearing this on the interwet internet right now and want to help, um, please feel free to reach out through, um, uh, you can either see me in the back afterwards or you can reach out through Julie. If you forgot your gift or you haven't had a chance to drop it off, you have until tomorrow. You can drop it to Julie between like nine and three. She'll be here. Um, and if there's any other questions, hit me up in the back. Thank you again for all of your participation. Appreciate it very much. All right. Thank you, Kristen, for heading all that up. All right. Let's, uh, let's continue our worship. There we go. Okay. Come on, guys. Hi, this is um, the Ritz family. We have Juniper, Zeke, and my wife, Rebecca, and I'm Adam. And we'll be lighting the pink candle, which symbolizes joy. And my wife will be reading in Isaiah. And we're supposed to share family tradition, and the only one we could think of is we eat cinnamon rolls every Christmas, and they're wonderful. 
Uh, Luke 2, verse 9 and 10. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Won't you join us uh, with He has come for us, God rest you, merry gentlemen. God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. He has come for us, this Jesus. He's the hope. Jesus, he's the hope 
And as we uh, meditate on how Jesus Christ came to give us life, um, along the same thread of what we'll probably be talking about today, um, uh, it brought to remembrance Daniel chapter 7, uh, verses um, 9 through 10, and then 13 through 14. Um, as we go into this new song called King of Kings, it's fairly new, um, but the words are, are just powerful. I wanted to share it with you guys. Um, but scripture goes as this. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The courts sat in judgment, and the books were opened. So that's describing our God, our almighty God on the throne in heaven. And then the vision takes an unexpected, but for us, a very awesome turn. It says, the son of man, is. it says, I saw in the night visions and behold the clouds of heaven. So we're still looking up into heaven where God is. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion was an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed.
Na this gospel truth of old Shall not kneel, shall not faint By his blood and in his name In his freedom I am free For the love of Jesus Christ Who has resurrected me just for who you are as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you sit upon your throne and you call us to serve you and to love you and to praise you. And may that reality, just the meditation every single day of thinking of that, slowly but surely begin to transform our lives. Break us down, break down the walls in our hearts, and uh, may this become a, a daily occurrence to look to the throne and to who you are, Jesus Christ. Amen. For all the kids that are going to nursery, have you guys all left? All right, just making sure that if you wanted out, you could get out. Uh, I uh, had one of those weird weeks. Some of you that joined me for coffee with Shane this week, I think, got to see that. And uh, it was kind of a busy week. Had a district conference meeting on Monday, and and life just kind of, well, in a sense, went downhill from there. Um, But that's not to say anything about the district conference uh, meeting or anything like that. But as I shared with with everyone that was with us um, at uh, during coffee with Shane this week on Wednesday, um, this week has been rough because one of my good friends from high school, and uh, he was actually the only guy in our wedding party that wasn't family, um, committed suicide last Friday. And um, I found out about that Monday afternoon, and to complicate things, by Wednesday... I have received another phone call from a friend of my brother's that we grew up with and, and hung out with and um, you know spent time with about the same time frame, and he had committed suicide. Um, and so to finish off the week, uh, I had a memorial service on, on Wednesday afternoon, and to finish off the week, a pastor friend of mine called me here in the area, and a, a guy that he had led to the Lord 
about two and a half, three years ago, and I got to meet and we got to celebrate uh, some stuff that was going on in his life, committed suicide this week. So I found myself in a very uh, difficult place emotionally, as you can imagine this week, being the tough guy that I am, you know. And um, I was wrestling with and, and deeply impacted. I hadn't talked to my friend Kevin for probably 18 years. Uh, and when I was watching some of the pictures as, at his memorial service, I realized there's a few of them that I was just, like I was in the, in the area, but not in the picture because um, we had been doing that much stuff together at that time of our life. And so one of the things that I began to wrestle with this week was, man, am I a good friend or what? Right? I don't know what it is about suicide, but there's something that happens to all of us in that moment where we begin to ask the questions, why didn't I notice? What could I have done? Shouldn't I have been there? How, how is it possible? And I know that uh, his family, I'm very, well, I'd say I was very close with his family. I'm not sure if, if that qualifies anymore. I feel like I'm not as close as I would I used to be. Um, but love them dearly, been very involved in their lives, they wrestled with all those questions. His three kids that he left behind and his bride, uh, they're all wrestling with those questions. And, and in fact, I really appreciated what my buddy, what my friend and mentor Kirby said, his father. He said, I'm actually very angry at my son still today um, because he left us and he didn't give us this option. And and so we just, it was this emotional week. It was a very challenging week. And so as I was wrestling through the text uh, for Mark, I'm struggling, right? Because, man, my head's not in Mark. My head's in other places. I'm wrestling with, man, what does it mean to love people? What does it mean to be so involved in their life that we can see these things? And how do we care for people in the midst of this kind of chaos and this kind of pain? Um, in fact, some of the research that I've been doing here recently indicates that we're probably going to see a pretty significant upswing in suicides in our culture, uh, and, and we're already seeing it. Uh, I know some of the people that work in the medical field have already seen it. They're already experiencing uh, that, that mental health um, explosion of issues. And so how are we as the church going to address that? And so I was wrestling with that, and one of my good buddies, uh, you guys know him, Todd Robinson, I call him the candy man. Uh, he looked at me and goes, well, why don't you just say what's on your heart instead of trying to follow your scripture and all your calendars and all your plans? I'm like, well, that would be dangerous because uh, there's a lot of emotion on my heart this week and there's a lot of pain. And so how do you address that stuff in front of you know, people and on TV? It's really uncomfortable to do that. Um, but after some more encouragement, I... Um, I settled on, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm going to take a break out of Mark, and we're going to spend some time in Romans, because I've been really wrestling with what does it mean for us to be the church in today's Christendom? What does it mean to be the church for you and for me here in uh, the, this little place called Liberty Lake, this, this section of the United States called Spokane and, and Idaho? How do, we, how do we do this thing that we call being the church well? And so the question that I was wrestling with in my own heart was, do we look like his church? And the emphasis is on his church, on Christ's church. Is that, is that what we represent? Is that who we are? And is that what people see us as, as Christ's church? Or are we merely just a good religious organization? Do we have good programs? Which we have great programs. 
maybe. They have a good kids program. Knows how they all wanted to get down there. Some of you are thinking the same thing. I'd like to be down there. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21 this morning. As I was wrestling with this particular passage, I actually went to look at it for the specific purposes of one particular verse where it tells us that we are, uh, I believe it's verse 15 in, in Romans 12, says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But I thought as we went through this process, obviously I can't just steal a verse out of the middle. We had to, we got to go back and look at the broader context. So we're going to look at this whole section uh, to the best of our ability this morning and uh, hopefully be encouraged um, in what we look like and who we are as Christ's the church. So follow along with me in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9 says this, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do the contrary. Your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yeah, we could just say amen and be done, right? That's amazing. Encouraging, challenging. Uh, you know, Gary was challenging us to, to show up to pray tonight. I love the fact that in our text this morning, it says be constant in prayer. Um, it's interesting to me. I've actually, I've interacted with believers and I've heard them say, well, all I can do is pray. Really? That's all you can do? You guys, that should not be like our last chance ditch hope. We shouldn't see that as being the the least of of the things that we could accomplish in our lives. Prayer, going to God, the creator of the universe, the one that sent his son to die on the cross for you and for me, going to him for answers and asking for his input and his intercession and his help and all of those things, that's the first thing that we should do. It's one of the great things that we have as a privilege of the church is to go to Him in prayer. What a great privilege and hope that that is, that we can go to Him. Isn't it interesting? He starts off this whole dialogue with, let love be genuine. We know what genuine love is, right? I mean, we can tell the difference. The the fake love, the, the, the... accolade of I love you, and, and then there's no behavior that follows, right? Um, it's especially, I think, evident uh, 
at, at probably about year three in your marriage, right? When when life starts to actually become difficult, when when the things that were cute become annoying, um, when when the things that that you didn't realize were important become fight worthy. Um, those are the points where I love you meet. It starts to take on a different appearance. Um, what about when? What about when you're loving your children and they're they at times feel unlovable? And please understand how I said that they feel unlovable. And I'm I'm you know obviously as parents we never don't love our children, um, but there's times where their behavior you're like. can't say that. And there's times where, where you watch them do things that break your heart, and you still love them. What is it like for love to be genuine in the church? Look at what First Peter says. I'm going to read a little bit of an extended passage, partly because the context is just so rich and it fits well within uh, it just lines up so well with what Paul says here in Romans chapter 12. But look at 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13 this morning. And he, I promise he is going to talk about love in this passage, but he, he builds quite a case. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all the flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. See, Peter challenges us when we consider who it is that we call the Lord, when we recognize who he is, that we should actually walk in a, a level of fear, recognizing that he's going to judge us for the behavior that we exhibit on this earth as we live here. And he ends that whole dialogue with challenging the believers to live in a way, to live in obedience as a result, uh, as in an effort of brotherly love that expresses itself in sincere brotherly love and to love one another with an earnest heart, uh, with a pure heart. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. There's this approach to love that is not of this earth. It's 
really a supernatural love that we are called to do as the church. Now, when you think about that at this particular time, what what a time for the church to be to look different than the world, right? What a time for the church to extend love to people that they maybe don't agree with. What a time to, for the church to love one another, even if we have different opinions about life. How many want to share their opinion about politics? How many want to share their opinion about social issues? How many want to share your opinion uh, uh, about church dynamic, um, church programs? What kind of hair the pastor should have? Should I have a tie on? I have to get a bigger shirt now with this holiday season. What does the love, genuine love, look like in the church if it's from a pure heart, if it's coming from a position that's reflecting Christ's love for us? What does it look like? Peter talks about this this gift of a lamb that should impact how we see the fact that, that Jesus' love put him on the cross for you and for me and redeemed us from the, the sinful uh, patterns of our forefathers. He's pulled us out of that. Paul actually says that he's given us new life, that the old man is dead and the new man is, is new in Christ. It's, it's not the same, and we shouldn't live there any longer. A true love, a sincere love from a pure heart engages with people that you don't maybe like or you would struggle to like. I think it's interesting that he follows up the second part of that, of verse 9. He says, abhor what is evil, and we're not going to do every single phrase in here. We just don't have time to do all of that, so just bear with me as we will shift in and out of close and in a, in a bit of a broad view here. But the second thing I think is so incredible because he says, love, let your love be genuine. And then he says, abhor what is evil or to hate what is evil. Now, for many of us, we could probably come up with some, some good things that we could label as evil. And I, can, I got a whole list of them. I can think of several of them. And jokingly, I'd put a RAV4 in there. That's a joke. So if you love Toyotas, just relax. We laugh about that a little bit, you guys, but think about what goes through your mind right now as you think of abhorring what is evil. 99% of the time when we start thinking about what is evil, we're looking at someone else and we're looking at sin that we don't typically have an issue with. We're looking at other people's issues or maybe we look at the culture and we can tear it apart because there's so many horrible things that we see happening in our culture right now. Things that the Word of God says are wicked and evil are becoming celebrated and normal for our culture. But it's interesting to me, as I mean, I know it's evil and God's going to address that, but look at what Amos chapter 5 has to say about this idea of abhorring what is evil. I love what Amos does. Amos is actually a, a minor prophet that's going to the Jews at a time when they're in great rebellion, and he's calling them back to repentance. He's calling them to the Lord, and he's offering them the judgment that's coming from God because of their continued rebellion. And so we see in this book, in the book of Amos, and one of the reasons I love Amos uh, is because he was a farmer and he really didn't want to be a prophet, and God called him out of that and said, here, go. You get to go do this. 
because he wasn't from a line of prophets. He's like, listen, I'm not, I don't normally do this. My dad didn't do it, or my, you know, this is not my line. God's the one that told me to come and say this to you. And I, and I love what he says, but look at what he says in chapter 5, Amos chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. He says this, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of the hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. The people of Israel are saying that God is with them. Did you see that at the end of the verse 14? We'll be with you as you have said. They're, they're claiming that God is with them, and yet God is showing up with his prophets to say, I'm not with you because you love evil and you hate justice. And you are not following my words. You are not living as I have called you to do. And in Amos' plea, he says, maybe, perhaps, if you would restore these things, if you would turn back to the Lord, God would protect you. God would be gracious with the remnant of Joseph. So the reality is that the church should look different than the world. And what a great time for us to look different than the world. I don't know how many of you have this happen, um, but I have, I have friends that have different opinions than me. And uh, Facebook has been a, a, a wonderful blessing and a curse, right? Um, social media and interaction, because I, I think at times people say things there that they wouldn't actually say to their face. Um, and yet some of you probably have family members that say it right to your face. And there's just wonderful Christmas holidays coming um, because of our politics and the division in our country right now. Uh, it's probably going to be an amazing time. But how does the church look different than that? Shouldn't the church look different than this? I think one of the key elements of this is I was wrestling, so how do we deal with this? How do, how do we deal with um, the conflict of our culture and yet we're called to love? I think one of the ways that we do that is we need to know the church should know who our enemy is. Our enemy is not, it's not the unsaved. They're not our enemy. As much as I would like them to be my enemy at times, they're not my enemy. Brothers and sisters in our church are not our enemies. As much as we act like they are our enemies at times. Who's our enemy? Absolutely. We know this, right? We know it. What if we acted like it? What if when we saw somebody deceived by the enemy, that our hearts broke? I remember a moment driving through Enius Valley one time. Um, I, as, a, as a firefighter and an EMT, I would started to get into homes along the, the strip of road that we drove back and forth. It was about a 12-mile strip of road. Um, and we drove past all these homes and people that I'd, that I'd taken to the hospital, people that I'd, I'd, I'd been at an emergency scene where a loved one had died. And so I knew some of the pain that was inside these homes. I knew one of the guys that, that uh, we actually had, we had this, uh, uh, there was a group, there was a couple 
Uh, and one of the gals, one particular morning, she didn't want to go to church, so she got up and she drank five or six beers first thing in the morning to try and make sure that she couldn't come to church. And she couldn't get out of her head that the Lord kept saying, you're still supposed to be in church, so she showed up drunk to church. How do you love that? I'm driving to church that one morning, and I, and I started counting all of the people that I knew that didn't know the Lord between me and the church. And there was a point at which I stopped counting because my heart was breaking, because I didn't care. I'd driven past them for years up to that point and just didn't care. In fact, some of them I didn't like. I'd been in their home. They, they treated me really poorly as an EMT. And that was the time, one of the times, but it was, it was a specific time where I was wrestling with this particular passage. And I felt like the Lord really convicted my heart about who our enemy is. That's in Ephesians chapter 6. You guys know this passage. We're going to read it anyway. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And we, we won't read any further, but he continues. He picks up in verse 14 and he says, Stand, having done everything to stand, focused on the right stuff, putting on the armor of God, having done all of those things, stand. Our enemy is Satan. Our enemy is the deceiver and a liar, and at times an angel of light. And he is good at what he does, but he's lost the battle. He's lost. Christ has conquered sin, he's conquered death in the grave, and he's offered to us the good news of the gospel, which is hope that comes in the midst of darkness. It's hope that comes in the midst of despair. It's the light of the world we're going to talk about in, in a couple of weeks at Christmas. That's the hope that we have. That's, that's why the church should look different. And when we remember who our enemy is, it helps us to keep our eyes off of the physical battles right in front of us. It helps us to actually follow through with what we are challenged to do. The, the writer of, or Paul here, challenges us to not offer curses to people that curse us, but bless them instead of that to offer them blessing instead of curses. In fact, Jesus meddles in all of this early on. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 43, he says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Really love our enemies? Pray for those who persecute you? 
Did you see what he did in that? He goes, why would you, if you don't love others outside of, you know, if you only love those who love you, what good is it? Even the, even the lost do that. The Gentiles and the tax collectors behave this way. And yet, I mean, isn't it? Don't you guys ever struggle with the fact that there's times that I don't want to love people in the church? Doesn't that ever drive you nuts? There's people like I get to the point where I know in my heart I'm sinning because of how I feel about not not any of you. Don't don't panic. I love you all. In our flesh, though, we can become so focused on the battles right in front of us that we make enemies out of those who are not, and we behave like the unsaved, we behave like the lost and the deceived because we treat one another just the same as what they do other people outside of the church. That should not be how we behave. That should not be our response to one another. It should not be the way that we, we interact with one another, which is part of what the rejoicing and the weeping together, the the. Part of point two that became, is just becomes so painfully evident in this time for me is that the, the church, when we know who our enemy is, we actually begin to be able to enter into one another's mess and be part of the rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. And one of the questions I'm asking myself is, how did I miss? I know how I missed my buddy Kevin because I wasn't involved in his life. I haven't talked to him in 18 years. I went back and I watched the social media feed on Facebook and I saw a change happen about three weeks back. Looking back now, it's, I'm like, oh, wow, look at that. I didn't see it at the time. His family didn't see it at the time. It's, it's, not, it's not my fault. It's not their fault that Kevin took his life. But when we think about what it means as the church to be in the mess together, to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, it means that we're engaged in such a way that we are experiencing and feeling the, the, the joys of our brothers and sisters and the pain of our brother and sister. Who wants to sign up for the weeping part? None of us like that. I don't enjoy experiencing others' pain. I don't enjoy experiencing my own pain. And yet that's what the church of God does. That's what Christ does. That's the hope that he gives us is that we get to engage in one another's lives to the point where we can walk with one another when it's good and we walk with one another when it hurts. That's what the church looks like. We can't do it. I can't do it by myself. And I'm not saying that every one of you needs to be that close with every person in the church. None of us has that much time, do we? It's just not possible. That's not a relational possibility. But I will, let me say this, I do believe that each one of us should have a few people that we're that close with. We should each have a few people that we invest that much time and energy to love and care for and know. Seems like a good strategy. If a few of us, if each of us love a few people that way, suddenly the whole church will be taken care of. We'll have a little extra love that we can pour out into the neighborhood, right? I got one. We're working for two. It works that way, though. If we're caring for one another, if we're expressing that love and we're taking care of the needs within our church, there's going to be a point where the church begins to look outside and go, oh, hey, I can love my neighbor too a little bit. 
Christ tells us in Matthew chapter 5 to love our enemies. Well, that's a pretty easy target. Go and find the person you can't stand and go love them. That'll narrow your field right down. You don't even have to do an application process for that one. The other thing that we see in this text, right, is that the church should respond differently to persecution. Did you see that? Be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. Bless, not curse. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. Don't think too highly of yourself. Never. Did you catch that? He threw a couple nevers in there. Never be wise in your own sight. If you think you're intelligent, park that bus. It's a dangerous thing. He says, never be, in, be wise in your own eyes. Go to the Lord for wisdom. And he also says, never, beloved, never avenge yourself. The church should respond differently to persecution. Jesus, in, in, as only he can do it, encourages us in the same way in Matthew chapter 5. You're, you should be close there if you haven't closed your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloaks, your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, brothers and sisters, i got to tell you, I don't like that verse. Part, you know, I've heard it taught. I've actually heard people tell me, though, that was because of the Roman culture. And so there, there, there are things that are there that do not apply to us as Americans. Okay? So what other part of Matthew chapter 5 do you want to just apply to them? You guys want to start a list? Because we can just start tearing pages out of the Bible again. I mean, that's what we're doing. If we're going to read that passage and say, this has nothing to do with me, then we might as well just start tearing this stuff out of the Word of God. What is he talking about here? He's telling us not to avenge ourselves, not to, take, not to repay someone evil for evil. We are to look different than the rest of the world in how we respond to these things. Now, I'm not going to tell you, I've been, I mean... I've had people who have falsely accused me of things, and, and absolutely, I've went and talked to them, and we've had great conversations. And, and they've been, they've been, uh, yeah, anyway, had, had, had a, a pretty wild accusation about our church at one point in time. We were um, doing animal sacrifices, supposedly, up in Enius Valley. And um, yeah, that actually got out that we were doing animal sacrifices. And I'm like, where's the meat? Because um, we wouldn't have wasted it, you know? Uh, but that was one of the accusations. And then we got another one that my boys were riding, running around on four-wheelers pointing M16s at people in the neighborhood. Yeah, my boys did not have their M16s out. That's a joke. They didn't have M16s, you guys. <laughs> Holy cow. It was ridiculous what people said about us, and, and, and especially as a, as a little church up there, we had all kinds of f just fabulous things 
laid his accusations against our little church and against my family and I at different times. And so there were moments where we went and we stood and we put the truth on the table. This is not true. But when you start thinking about how we interact and how we love one another, so often the protection of ourselves becomes the thing that we treasure more than the love of others. We treasure that more than, than being an example for Christ. I've told you about Tim Van Dyke, and he was a great influence in my life. And I, I told you about the story where, um, I may have told you, but he was my missions trip leader down in South America, Colombia, and when the guerrillas showed up to take people out of that camp, they grabbed a young man that had uh, his, his first baby, was, uh, I believe, just born, a newlywed kid, brand new in the mission field, and Tim went and took his place. He negotiated with the guerrillas to, to take him instead of this young kid, and Tim left behind four kids and a bride and was executed sometime in the next year and a half out in the jungle. He laid down his life at that moment, and he intentionally did it. And his bride recounted to me at one point, and, and again, it's 20 years now, I may not have all the details right, but the thing that I believe he, he looked is how it went, is that he made the negotiation, and he turned around and said, I love you, to his bride, and he walked into the jungle willingly. Is there a point at which in our lives that God is going to ask us to do something selflessly that will cost us immense pain and suffering? That I'm going to say probably. Is there a time in our lives when the act of loving someone else is going to be painful and costly to us? I'm going to say absolutely. And yet God still calls us to love as Christ loved. He still calls us to let him be the avenger, to let him take care of the wrongs that are perpetrated on his church. Don't you guys think if he would do that for his son, he would do that for us adopted ones? Yes. Pretty sure we'd have a similar familial loyalty. I don't know if you've ever been adopted. Pretty amazing thing. Comes with a lot of heartache and a lot of challenges and a lot of uh, emotions that aren't always honorable to the Lord. Um, I think I shared on Wednesday the gift that my stepdad is to me today. And I can tell you that I spent most of my early days as a young uh, adopted dad with a stepfather, not seeing the positive, but rather fighting and kicking and, and, and making every possible moment of his life as miserable as possible. I, I, I think I shared with, I may have shared with you guys, I used to pray that he would die at work. He had other guys die at work, but for whatever reason, he kept coming home. And there was a moment at which I realized how angry I was at God because God allowed that to continue to happen. Uh, from, at the time, it seemed horrible to me. It seemed like I was suffering. And I look back at the 40-plus years that he's been in my life, and I realize the gift that he is. 
and the faithfulness that he portrayed and the, the care and the love that he extended in the midst of my rebellion, in the midst of my anger. Had God bailed me out in the beginning, I would have never experienced the joy that I have today with him as my father. I wouldn't be the man that I am today because of him. That God bailed me out early. Or when I pulled the ripcord. Aren't you guys glad your parachute cords don't work? God's like, nope, I got it. It's on autopilot. Just so you guys know that this isn't a Jesus thing from the New Testament, this idea of not avenging yourself, it wasn't because he came and made a new thing or, or started a whole new, a new spiritual movement. Look at Proverbs 20, 21, or 22. Sorry, I have it in my notes as 21, but it's actually 22. Hopefully you have 22. I believe you do because Julie's amazing. Proverbs 20, 22. So do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Do you see that? This is all the way back in the Old Testament. This is back when David, King David, the kid that could not build the temple for, G, for, for God himself because he had too much blood on his hands. David was, he was a pretty wild guy. He was a dangerous warrior to the point where God wouldn't let him build his temple. And even back then, so, so what do you do with that? I'm, I'm sitting there reading that process of going, okay, Lord, So how did I deal with that? Because you told him to go and kill a bunch of people. What I came down to with was, and this may sound horrible, but Lord, just tell me when to pull the trigger, right? Man, you guys are, did I startle you with that? Isn't that how we should approach every issue that we're wrestling with in life? Whatever the issue is, whatever divide we have, whatever passion you're carrying, God is now the time. That's exactly what the disciples asked when the soldiers came with the swords. They said, is now the time? Is this what you talked about? Are we pulling out our swords? And Peter whips out a sword and takes the guy's ear off. He goes, nope, it's not the time, but you told us to bring swords. It's not what I told you to bring for. Well, then why in the world did he tell him to bring them? Is it possible he told them to bring the swords so that they could have the means to defend themselves, but they had to suffer the process of surrendering to him and lay him down? Is it possible? I don't, I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't, know, I don't know what Jesus was thinking when he told him to bring the swords. Pretty amazing, though. The church is not a building or a location, is the final point. And when we start talking about who, who we look like, do we look like His church? We have got to be the church, and we've got to stop going to church. Brothers and sisters, you are never at church, ever. You are the church. So we can either act like the church or we can act like rebellious, stubborn little kids. Sorry, was that too harsh? We can either act like the church or not act like the church. But either way, we are the church. You're going to love this because we got more of Jesus' words. I was rereading this passage this morning, and I was 
more convicted by it than when I started, when I put it in my notes earlier this week. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it, bear, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus does not imply, He states very clearly, that we can do nothing without Him. But isn't it amazing that His purpose for us is that we, we would bear much fruit? You know, the conviction of my heart this morning as I read that, I started to ask my, myself that question. God, is there... Is my spiritual life with you bearing much fruit? Is there fruit evident in my walk with God that is, that is being a, a, a present and, and growing because of my relationship with Him, because of my, His faithfulness as I, as I walk with Him and, and love Him and, and live in obedience to Him? And don't you guys love the fact that even if we're bearing fruit, He's going to prune us? Isn't that awesome? Any of you guys know what pruning is? Yeah. They can sharpen loppers and come out and take off the green stuff. That's horrible. You've been working hard, producing fruit, and God comes along and said, that's wonderful. We're going to do it again. I was done. He says that even if we're bearing fruit, he's going to prune us and we're going to produce or bear more fruit. pretty clear that part of what God intends for us as the church is to be producing fruit, to be attached to Him in such a way that our spiritual lives produce a spiritual fruit within the context of the life of the church. Obedience is involved in this. Love of God is involved in this. It reflects in how we live, and His intent, His purpose is to continue to help us grow so that we are producing fruit. Man, what time, what, I don't know of a time that's been better for fruit production in the church, in my life anyway. I don't remember a time where choosing to love people that I don't particularly agree with has probably had a more, a more prominent position in my life. I honestly don't remember a time at this point in my life where the church itself has been so divided. 
been so quick to divide. I don't remember a time. I mean, we've divided over hymns. We've divided over drums. We've divided over theological views. Recently, we've been dividing over masks. We've had people leave and stay on either side, and it's across the nation. In fact, I've seen prominent speakers come out and, and give their opinions of what people should do if their church isn't following the standards according to their opinion. In fact, I even had a missionary friend write a, church, write a letter to, the missionary, to American churches directing them and how they should behave and when they should leave their current church and go to another one. I don't remember a time in my life where trying to be the church, to love my neighbors, to love my enemies, has been more challenging for me and more prominent than today. And isn't it awesome that it won't matter how we treat anybody? Okay, good. That bothered some of you. Because that's not true, is it? Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 31. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself, him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me and just... As I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I think as Alan shared last week, that that's part of the, the pain of the kiss, the brotherly kiss that Judas offers to Jesus, right? It was the sign of affection and and brotherly love, a, a, a meaningful relationship that he betrays him with. And I, as, I'm, as I read this text, as I wrestle with, with how will we be known as a church, what will our legacy, not our legacy, what, what will we be known for? Because we really only want Christ to be the legacy, right? Amen? Can we get two for that one? Thank you. Just really going for one. I want to overachieve today. But we desperately want that to be Christ to be the legacy. And we know that part of how that happens is how we love one another. I know we're called to love our enemies. And I believe that we should work on that. But at some point, this, the church, the, the gathering of the brothers and sisters of Christ should, should be such a valuable thing to us that we engage in relationship with one another, that when our friends, when people close to us begin to struggle, we may not, I may have never been able to save Kevin's life. I couldn't. I can't. That's God's business. But I desperately regret not being closer to him, so I would have had a chance to love him. I desperately regret that. And that should not be how we live as brothers and sisters in the church together. We should be engaged with one another. We should be exercising what we're called to be, and that's to love, the, love one another first and to love our enemies as Christ loves us. We should be marked by our love for one another. 
I know that that's painful. And I know that it's costly. Because for at least a few of you, it means you have to love me. That's difficult. Ask Sally. We are all difficult to love. A few of you might not be. Kay Olson's not here, so we can, we can throw her under the bus this morning. I don't think Kay Olson's hard to love. But I'm not married to her, so I don't know. The reality is, is we should be marked by this. Do you, you guys, you know, it is so easy for us to get consumed in our, in our immediate issues in life. Everything from work to medical issues to, to relationships to family. to There's everything in our lives is bearing down on us right here in front of us right now. Some of you are probably struggling with that stuff right here as we're talking. And it's the reality of life that's right in front of us. So it is difficult to love. I get that. But that's what the church should be marked by. Part of what I wanted to say this morning was that if you are in one of those spots where you can't see out of the darkness, where life has just got you completely consumed and you can't see, I want to plead with you not to be quiet. I don't have all the answers, but I know the one that does, and I'm willing, and I know our church, we have many people in this church that are willing to walk with anybody that needs to walk through that process, whether it's professional counseling, whether it's medical help, whether it's spiritual help. I want to plead with you not to be quiet, but to come and to to ask for help, to come and acknowledge that, that you need help. My appeal to us as a church is let's get so involved in one another's messy lives that people can't hide very well here. Doesn't that sound awesome? You know, some of you introverts are going, oh my goodness, stop talking about this stuff. I don't like people anyway. I know you. I know some of you. It's okay. Not saying you have to have 10 of them, 10 friends. Try one. That's a joke. But for each of us, it looks different. For each of us, it carry, we, we carry different levels of pain, different levels of, of connectedness, different levels of intimacy. And I, So I'm not saying that this is a one glove that fits everybody. I'm not saying that we're, we do this program where each of you takes three people and you're going to spend this many hours. That's not the point. The point is, invest in the lives that are close by, find an enemy to love, let's just acknowledge that's what Scripture says, and let's start being the church wherever God has us planted. It's going to be more uncomfortable than what you're comfortable with, but I also know it's way richer than what we've experienced when we don't do it. It's way, way better than if we, if we continue to, to not engage and to, and to be isolated and alone. So, what's the point? Be the church right where you are. Be the church. It's not like you have to try any extra harder because you already are. 
Let's just be the church where we are. What does that look like when you're handing out flyers this week to people? I want to encourage you, don't invite them to come to church. Invite them to come and be part of our church. Come and meet your family. They're a goofy bunch, but they're pretty good people. And they'll tolerate most of us. So it's a good place to be. Father, thank you for your faithfulness and your love. I thank you for this body. I thank you that we're that we are messed up, that we've got probably every uh, every body part represented here and and uh, every different personality represented here. And uh, thank you that you're faithful. And Lord, I thank you for the years that I had with my buddy Kevin. And I want to pray for his family today. His three kids that are left behind and his bride. His 13 nieces and nephew that called him Uncle Monkey. His parents and the church family that is still trying to figure out what this means and why. Lord, I pray that you would bring them peace, not because their circumstances are not horrible and hard, but because they find hope and joy in you as the Savior God of the universe. Because when we are in the hand of the Creator, we have nothing to fear. And we can have peace. So God, I pray that you would care for them in this time that you would watch over their hearts, especially his kids. Lord, I pray that you'd protect them from bitterness and anger and that you would draw them to yourself. I pray for our church, Lord, this church. God, I pray that we would become lovers of our enemies. We would become lovers of of one another as you have called us to love selflessly, sacrificially, that we would outdo one another in honoring each other. God, that we would be known for being such a place and that this little community would be affected by our presence because of how we love one another. God, if, if there is any issue in our hearts today, whether it's darkness and depression and, and suicidal thoughts, Lord, or if you're just convicting our hearts that we have not loved one another and we need to go make things right with an individual in our church, Father, I pray that you would put that on each heart to step forward, to, to, to have the boldness and the strength to go and make right broken relationships, and that you would give any individuals who are struggling uh, with suicide or, or uh, other difficult things right now, Lord, you'd give them the strength to come forward and ask for help as well. Help us to know those things and to have eyes to care for those around us. As you know, every heart and every heart condition. I give you the praise and the glory this morning, Lord, that you went to the cross for us, Lord Jesus. And you paid the price. And you took the wrath of God on yourself and have given us the opportunity to choose obedience today. To choose to live in obedience. 
to the words that you have put in front of us. Thank you for the free gift of salvation that you have offered to each person who responds to your gift. I just pray, Lord, that you would overwhelm our hearts with that reality today, what it means to love one another as you have loved us. In your name. Won't you join us for our final song, Man of Sorrows?
rugged cross. Hold that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee. Praise and honor unto thee. Praise and honor. God, we love you and we thank you for being present in this time and for lighting a fire in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And by that same spirit, we all become a part of one family and we are no longer, <laughs> we're no longer just our past or, or just our genetics or, or just the things that we struggle with, but um, we are children of God and we are the family of God. And we can come together bringing those things to one another to rejoice and to weep and to laugh and to worship. We love you and we thank you. Bless my family. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a good week. Love you guys.